Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Uh, that's this alarm here. Hang on a second. I'm just getting your attention. Actually, it works, and, and, and it works really well. This, this alarm actually saved our lives just a week ago. Um, Cindy and I were asleep, and about 3 o'clock in the morning, this thing took off beeping like crazy out in the hallway. And so, I, I, can't, I sleep pretty sound, and so <laughs> this thing's going off. Cindy's waking me up, and, and we walk out into the hallway to check what's going on. I, I, she grabs this thing out of the wall. This is a gas detector. She grabs it out of the wall, and, and she reads it, and it says, Evacuate immediately. Evacuate immediately. And I'm thinking, it's 3 a.m. And uh, she goes, but Rick, evacuate immediately. He says, there's gas here. And so I'm, I'm smelling. I'm thinking, well, the heat's not on. I mean, nothing's going on. There's, there's nothing here. I'll tell you what. You go outside. I'm going back to bed. And, and if they come... Just send them in if they need to. If they need to rescue me, I just because I couldn't. So we so we walk back towards the bedroom again, and and as we're walking back towards the bedroom, Cindy turns on the hall light, and right right underneath this gas detector was a little pile of dog poo, and I. I I'm just telling you, this thing works, and it picks up methane. And so if you have one of these things, and you just happen to have beans and cornbread one night, take the battery out, because it's going to be going off all night in your house. Shoo, true story. You can't make that kind of stuff up. The more amazing thing was that to get to this uh, meter, we were walking through a dark hallway to get to the little gas meter to pull it out of the wall, and somehow we missed that pile. That was the miracle in, in all of this. So, um, Okay, I want to I start our, our little teaching. We're, we're dealing with speaking the truth, and today... I've been assigned to talk to you about speaking the truth in darkness. And I want to start with this question for you. Who do you trust? Who do you trust? Now, this is big. Because everything that I'm going to be speaking about here over the next few minutes is related to who you trust. Who do you trust with your present situation? Who do you trust with your future? Because you might be interested in finding out in the Scripture, there's this guy we're going to come across this morning, and his name is Simon. And Simon is a sorcerer. He's known as a sorcerer in the Scripture. This isn't a Harry Potter thing. This is, this is for real, not make-believe. 
And we're going we're gonna to learn just a little bit about him, but the things I'm dealing with isn't, isn't really, I don't want to really deal with him so much. I want to deal with you, and I want to deal with me. Who do we trust? Who do we trust? And so we're going to just jump in on, on some things that you might find interesting. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can go to Acts chapter 8, and I'll set it up simply this way. Uh, the, the early church was exploding, growing like crazy. And as they were growing, so was persecution. And so in Jerusalem, the Christians were being persecuted, separated from their families, killed for their faith, being persecuted. And it's during this persecution that people being persecuted do what those people do, and that's flee. So they started moving out of Jerusalem into Judea, as Jesus said would happen. And not only do they move into Judea, then they move even into enemy territory into Samaria. And this is where we find this guy named Simon. Because one of the disciples who was being chased out of Jerusalem is now in Samaria. And while there, he's not wasting time. He's telling people about Jesus. And people are responding, and the church is growing. I'm going to pick this up in verse 9. Here we go. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery. And actually, that word sorcery literally means magic, magic arts. He had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed. The word amazed is really not the, the right word there. It's more bewitched or confused. Amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted, look at this, he boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. And they followed him because he had amazed or bewitched or confused them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, look at this, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. See, the signs got his attention. The great signs and miracles because this is what he was known for. And I want you to catch this real quick. I'll just remind you of something Scott shared a couple weeks ago or last week. Can't remember which one. But this, grab this. Satan can do miracles. The scripture tells us that. He's not the little red-suited guy with the horns and the long tail and the pitchfork. He is a very powerful, powerful being. And he has the capacity to mimic miracles. And so this kind of stuff, these miracles, really grabbed the attention of Simon the sorcerer. Verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then, look at this, Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Spirit. And who was watching? Simon. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability 
so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. See, he's still walking around in this in this world of wanting to perform signs and miracles. And when he would do it, he always used it to confuse people and to confound people and to hold people under, I, I'll say his spell, I'll use that word, I don't know if that's appropriate here, but just to hold people under his spell. All right. So he's offering money so that he can have the same power that the apostles have. And Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Now, I'm going to stop there. When he said, may your money perish with you, the words he uses here were words of, of huge judgment. He was saying, take your money and go to hell. That's how serious this was. Trying to buy the power of God. As a matter of fact, even today, there is a word in the English language that has been given for someone who is trying to buy a church office, buy a position in the church, or buy some special privilege within the church. And that word, you, this, I have this in your bulletin. You can fill this in if you want. The word, interesting enough, is called simony. Simony. Named after Simon, who tried to buy the power of God. Simon was interested in adding to, his, adding to his repertoire of things that he could do with his sorcery. And I know that I've, I've blessed and cursed people for money, and so I'll just take some of my money and offer these guys some money. Surely they'll take it and let me buy that power as well. But there was no power to be bought for sure. Sorcery is one of the things in Scripture that is known as divination. It's a sin. It's something that God says to completely avoid. As a matter of fact, you're, it's interesting enough, you're going to find out that a lot of the things that some of you, and myself included, have, have played with innocently and stuff like that, are actually listed in these sins of divination. This little quote we have in the scripture, uh, we have in the scripture, the quote I have in your bulletin under the second point, scripture condemns the practice of divination. Divination is the entire complex means of gaining insight, look at this, insight from the gods regardless of any particular technique. And that's why I asked you at the beginning the question I asked, who do you trust? Who do you trust for your information? When it comes to the things of God. Who do you trust for your information when it comes to things pertaining to your life? Do you trust God with your present and your future? Or are you looking outside of God for other signs and other directions so that you can do or know what you need to do? All right. I want you to look at, I'll just read off the screen today, Chris. I want you to look at Deuteronomy chapter 18, <clears throat> verses 9 through 12. Of the four passages I give you here in the, in the bulletin, I'm only going to read this one. I want you all to take the time, if you're interested. If you're not interested in this, you just go home and forget it. But if you're interested, I want you to take your Bibles and take your bulletins, and I want you to go home, and I want you to look up these passages of Scripture. Because Scripture is not silent 
about sorcery, divination, and all the things that go with it. What are all the things that go with it? Let's look. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, that means signs, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Because of these same detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. That's God on the subject of who are you going to trust. Are you going to trust me, your God, or are you going to trust others or other things? So we're going to hit on those. And I hope... I really hope you will take these scriptures that I've listed here and you'll take the time to look those up because that's important, all right? Now, what is, as as I was preparing for this, I've got to tell you ahead of time, this has not been fun for me. Uh, Cindy has heard me moan and groan for the last three weeks about this stuff because to be honest, I don't have any interest in learning about it. And, and whenever I was reading up and studying, and, and, and I've got a big old book on my desk right now, and any, any page that you open to, it's just filled with darkness. I don't know how else to say it. That's why we sang the songs we sang today. This little light of mine, you know, I'm going to let it shine. Because I, I would leave the office, and you, it just feels so heavy. I don't know how else to say it. You just feel heavy with, with the stuff I'd been reading about darkness about Satan and about things that he does and control that he exhibits. So, so what's the attraction to this sort of activity? Well, just in, in my reading, I, I'm going to just list two. I'm certain there's more, but here's the two I've come up with. One is it's an effort to obtain knowledge that is hidden. I'm going to jump into the divination world whether it's having my palm read, having my fortune told, um, having my cards read, uh, sitting in a seance to talk to a dead person, which, by the way, listen, if I'm in a seance, which I sat in one as a, I don't know, high school, junior high kid, you know, hey, let's do a seance. got to be cool. What do we do? We light candles and start calling up dead people. Okay, let's do it. And you know what? If somebody would started talking, I'd have run. I mean, I, I wouldn't have been around long at all. It just wouldn't have happened. But, but all of those things done, some, some innocently, but understanding that even innocently, we dabble in a world that's dark. And so, so an effort to obtain knowledge that's been previously hidden... I want to know about this. I want to know what the future holds. I want to know a decision I should make. I want to know about this. And then the second that that I came up with, the second attraction to this kind of activity, and this comes with Simon the sorcerer here, an attempt to exert power over people or events. Because listen... If we set up shop here at Christ Community Church with a little room where you could come and for a small fee you could say, hey, would you guys care to, uh, to go uh, curse this person? 
You know, all you got to do is say the word and it'll be done. I, I've got the money for you to go do it. Would you do that? I'd say there'd be a line of people out the door. Because over the years of my life, even as a Christian, there's been people I've wanted cursed. I hate to say that. I wish I could stand up here totally pure and say, never done anything wrong or thought anything wrong in my life, but I can't do that. But I think that there's, an, there's a, a desire to exert power over someone. There's a good example of this in the Scripture, by the way. If you go over to Numbers chapter 22, you'll see... I'll just pick it up in verses 1 to 7. The Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab, so they're close to the country of Moab, and they camped along the Jordan across the Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, he's the, he's the king of Moab, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. They knew that war was coming and the Israelites were coming through their land. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pithor, I don't know if I'm saying all this stuff right, near the Euphrates River in his native land. Balak said, now look at this. This is what Balak, the king of Moab, went to Balaam for. A people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and they've settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed and whoever you curse is cursed. The elders of Moab and Midian left taking with them, look what they did, took with them the fee for divination. So they were going to Balaam to buy the power that Balaam had to curse this group of Israelites. Before I go further, because I just looked over here and got my attention, uh, I, I don't know how I missed you, William. Uh, but here William McKinley is sitting, and Lord have mercy, he's, he's been at OSU at the James Cancer Center, had a massive, massive surgery at, uh, on, on a cancer that was up here in his chest area and has laid over at Hillview at the, uh, on the third floor recovering from all the skin grafts. And the best news that came out of this was you, your body sure can grow skin. And uh, here he sits whole. And, uh, and back with us. And I just welcome back. Welcome back, William. I'm, uh, you've been sitting here all this time? Shame on me. Yeah. I can't see. I can't see. I just see, I just see bodies. I, I, don't, I can't see faces because of the lights. Okay, I'm, I'll press on. Thank God for what he's done. Amen. Amen. Okay. So... Now I ask this question in your outline. Why is God opposed to a little innocent fun like reading your horoscopes, Ouija boards, seances, tarot cards, etc.? Why would God be opposed to that? And so I, I want to give you 
four things that where I think this is why God would be opposed to it. All right? This is why God would be opposed to it. Number one, there's something we have to understand as followers of Christ. We have to understand what I'll call and has been called by many the big lie. The big lie is found in the book of Genesis chapter 3 and in verse 5. And the big lie simply goes like this. Where the serpent says to Eve as she's standing at the tree, For God knows that when you eat from this, when you partake in this, your eyes will be opened and you will be what? You'll be like God, knowing good from evil. The temptation that was given to Eve wasn't the temptation of, I'm hungry, I think I want to eat this. The temptation given to Eve was that she was going to be like God. If she participates in this, she'll be like God and she'll know the things that God knows. And so, why would God be opposed to us dabbling in some of this stuff? Part of the reason is because he doesn't want us to buy into the lie that if you do this, you're going to know the things that I know. You're going to be in on the big secret. You're going to be in on the hidden knowledge. It's not about that. This is about do you trust God enough to let him be God in your life and direct your life and your future? Do you trust him Who do you trust? The second thing, and Paul makes a case for this over in Romans chapter 1, is that when we dabble in things like this, we end up worshiping creation rather than the Creator. And Paul says this in Romans 1.25. As a matter of fact, he'll say it on a couple of occasions early on in Romans where people, rather than acknowledging Him, would rather acknowledge created things and honor and listen to created things rather than listening to the Creator. And so we'll have people studying the stars, giving their lives to seeing how the stars line up, and giving honor to the stars, and and giving value to the stars which they don't really possess. And it becomes a lie that's been bought. You know what? If I just give value to the stars, if I give value to my to my horoscope, and I follow and 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 I follow the the advice of the horoscope, then I've got things figured out and things are going to be okay. And the question is, who are you going to trust? You're going to trust the stars. You're going to trust the little section in the Portsmouth Daily Times. Who are you going to trust? Or are you going to trust God? Third thing. When we do this, when we try to go beyond what we are to know, what we do is we belittle God and we exalt ourselves because in essence, not in essence, this is what we're doing. We are simply saying to God, you know, I know you want me to trust you. And I know you said, okay, this is off limits, but you know what? I'm going to do it anyway. Even though you say it's off limits, I'm going to participate in it. 
and I'm going to participate in it because I want to know, and I don't trust you enough with my life. I want to know. Who do you trust? This all goes back to that one question. Who are you going to trust? And the other thing I have here on your outline is that we refuse to trust God with our present and our future. We refuse to trust Him with our present and our future. Rick, don't you think this stuff is real? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's real. I think it's real. But I don't think it's innocent. And that's where we have to be careful. It may be innocent in your heart and mind. You know, hey, you know, we're, we're down here at Myrtle Beach or we're at Virginia Beach. And, you know, for 20 bucks, I can stop by this palm reader. Let's see what they have to say. It's just innocent. I'm on vacation. Kind of fun. And I get that. I get that. I want you to know, though, that it's not as innocent as it seems on the surface. Okay? That's all I want you to know. This is all about who you're going to trust. Let me give you this. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. I'll start at verse 16. Just check this out. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. And when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the market, marketplace to face the authorities. And lo and behold, they end up in prison because of that. I, but I'm not talking about them ending up in prison. I want you to see this. They come across a fortune teller. People were paying her owners so that they could be told their future. And she told them their future. It happened. It's real. But Paul turns to this female fortune teller who is a slave of these owners and, and casts out a demon out of her who was giving her the power and ability to tell the future. That's big stuff. And you'll go, Rick, come on. You really believe that? Demons and things like that? I mean, isn't that a little bit of Star Wars? Isn't that a little bit of, may the force be with you? Well, you may think that, but the Scripture doesn't say that. And I'm not standing up here to appease what you think. I'm standing up here to teach the Word. And so when you come across Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, here's a verse for you, okay? Let's have that. For our struggle 
is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, keep that verse up there for me, Chris. Can you put it back up? Thank you. Now, I I want you just to look at the last half of that verse because Paul is making a comment about what truly exists. See, we, we believe what truly exists based on what our senses can connect with, what we can touch and feel and smell and taste. We believe that those kinds of things exist, what we can see. But Paul goes beyond the seen and he goes into the unseen, the spiritual world. And he, and he is saying, if this is a given. There are authorities and powers of this dark world and there are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms or among us in the unseen realm. They're here. They're real. And when I read that, I go, I believe that. And when I live my life day in and day out, I go, I experience that. I experience that war. I experience that in inner turmoil. I experience that in a war in relationships. I experience it in wars of many kinds. But I experience that. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you experience that too. Because listen... Before you come to faith in Christ, you're not in a battle. You're not in any kind of war. You're just doing what you want to do. Let me tell you what. You put your faith and confidence in Christ as your Savior, and you begin to follow Him. Listen, you, you have upset the apple cart. You have ticked off the other side. And He's not going to leave you alone. And there is a war for your soul. There is a war for you going on. This is not innocent. And then the other verse I have for you, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's have that one. For though we live in the world, this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, the weapons we fight with have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So you as a follower of Christ, when... When this thought or that thought or this situation or that situation begins to invade you, then what you do is you take it captive and you go, you have no power over me in the name of Christ. You have no power over me in the name of Christ. Long, long, long time ago, there was a, uh, when I was doing student ministry, back in the days of dinosaurs, uh, when I was doing student ministry, I remember having a, uh, a parent call me because their daughter was really struggling. And the struggle was, was simply this. Uh, I, this vile um, I'll just say it. I won't say it. Constantly. She said, Mom, I can't, I can't get 
GD out of my head. All the time, it's just all that's going on in my head over and over and over. I just, I'm thinking it. And, and she just, she's really bugged by it. And she said, Rick, I don't know what to, what to tell my daughter to do. I don't know how to help her. I mean, we pray and say, God, you know, please. I, I said, well, that's good I, because I think that's what you do. I, I think certainly what you do. But I would tell you to do this as well. You just tell your daughter when those thoughts start that she needs to start going, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Just say it over and over in your head. Take captive that thought and replace it with the knowledge of Christ. Take it captive and replace it with the knowledge of Christ. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? Doggone it, I wish it was. But I, I think that's what we do. Those are part of the weapons that we fight with. And, and then I have in your outline these four blanks at the bottom of your outline before the last point. And I want you to put these in because I think this is, these are our weapons and this is how we do it. Number one, pray. 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 Number two, read. Read what? Read this. Know this. Because if you want to know about God who knows your future, who you trust with your future, this is where He has spoken. This is where He gives guidance. And oh, He might not tell you, yes, take that job at McDonald's. He might not tell you that. You're not going to find it. And if you do, I want to read your Bible. He's, he may not give you that, that direction that way. But he says this, don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And as you do, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will fill your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I, I don't know if I'm right when I say this, but I'll proclaim it till I die. That I believe that the peace that Christ gives in our heart, in decision making, and that he gives in our mind, is a part of Him guiding us. And if there's, if there's tension and turmoil, then maybe you need to take a step back. Okay. Just tossing that out. Pray, read. Third, trust. Trust. And fourth, stand. Stand. Pray, read, trust, and stand. Who are you going to trust? <laughs> I want to say Ghostbusters. Um, who are you going to trust? You're going to trust Jesus. We're going to trust that God who created everything knows us. He knows us intimately. And He, he knows our future. The Scripture says, the scripture says on, a, on a couple of occasions that He knows, the, he knows how many days you're going to live before even one of them came to be. He knows that. So if he knows that, then why are we going to trust anybody else? I want, I want to trust the one who knows me the best. And so I find myself trusting God. Yes, there are times where I don't. Yes, there are times when I want to take things into my own hands and think, God, really, you don't know what you're doing here. 
But ultimately, I always have to come back to, God, you, you know what you're doing. You're God, and I trust you. I'll close with this. Rick, I need a sign. It's the last thing in your bulletin. I need a sign. What's wrong with finding a sign? God, if you could just... Okay, here, God, let's do this. If you could just shoot a bolt of lightning out of here and knock this tree down, I'm all in. Just give me that sign. I'm a believer. Ready? Go. You know why that lightning never comes? Because Jesus already said, you're not going to get a sign. Because he's already given you a sign. Look at this. In, in the book of Matthew, chapter 12. Some Pharisees and teachers of the law said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You want a sign? Here's your sign. I feel like Bill Ingvall. You want a sign? Here's your sign. It's, it's Jesus on the cross. That's the sign. God says, you want a sign? Here's my sign that I love you and I have you. I have taken my son and I have taken your sin and I've placed it all on his back and I have nailed my own son to the cross so that you can be forgiven, so that I can live in you and so you can be made whole. You may not know all the future, but you'll know this about your future. You'll know that the day you draw your last breath, that you will be in the very presence of the one who died for you. You can know that for sure. And the only way to know that is to trust Him. And so I come back to the very thing I started with. Who do you trust? Are you going to trust someone that you got to toss some money down so that they can tell you a little bit about your future? Or are you going to trust the one who knew you before you were born, who died for you before you were born, and who knows the day you're going to die and knows you're going to be in his presence? Who are you going to trust? It's kind of interesting to me that uh, we will go and trust a person to call up a dead person when we can go to the living God. Why would we trade that in? Look at this quote from John Piper. It's the last thing on your bulletin, and with that we'll be done. God has appointed for himself a revealer of that which he desires to be known. And when we turn from or go beyond that revealer and consult other mediums, we belittle God and exalt ourselves. We devalue the revelation of Jesus Christ and take to ourselves the prerogatives of God. No one who loves Jesus Christ and orients all of his life around the revelation of Jesus can turn to the occult for knowledge and power. God says in Isaiah 8, verses 19, the first part of verse 20, When they say to you, consult the mediums and the wizards who chirp and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction. And then Piper ends with this. It is unthinkable to the prophet Isaiah that a person who knows God and has his teaching and testimony in Scripture should consult mediums.
unthinkable to Isaiah. Why should we? God loves you. He gave Jesus for you. And I encourage you, I encourage you to allow the chains of you wanting to know the future and trying to gain insight into the future through any other means than simply trusting God. I pray that those chains would be broken in your life. Because while they may seem innocent to us, a little bit of fun on vacation or whatever, or when you're having a sleepover or whatever, it's not so innocent. So be careful. Be careful. God loves you, gave himself for you, wants to live in you, give you a hope and a future. And after we pray, if any of you here want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, I'm going to be right here and I'd love to talk with you about that very thing. And, and if someone's talking to me, you can seek another staff person out. That'd be great. If you're here with us for the first time, I want to invite you to stop by the welcome table in the atrium. We've got a gift for you. And, um, and Matt will be back there. Matt and Megan will be back there to welcome you to the church. God bless you guys. Let's pray together and then we're going to get out of here, okay? Father, I want to thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for your love. I thank you how you have poured yourself out on us and for us. I pray, Lord, that you will have your way in each of our lives. And even though we find ourselves at a place where we can't know the future, I pray you help us to trust the one who does, and that's you. And Lord, as we trust you, may we live our present moment-by-moment life pointing others to you. Thank you for giving yourself for us. And now may we give ourselves to tell this world about Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Christ community, for being here. God bless you. Have a great holiday weekend. We'll see you next weekend.